Is this the dagger? What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Legion of Sports podcast. I'm Harrison Klein, along with Jake Anthony. Uh, For the first time, we're actually recording from different locations. I'm in quarantine right now, so me and Jake are not together, but, uh, you know, we'll do our best for you guys. Uh, Yeah, it's been been an interesting few days. Uh, Coronavirus scare and a half, I guess, scare with positive tests, but uh, we're moving forward, and hopefully everyone's healthy. Yeah, so Jake, you want to start with your top story of the week? Yeah, so mine was cut last night. Suitors uh, out there that are going to offer him. He's not going to be a free agent for the rest of this year. So first one that comes to mind is New England. It's normally towards the top of the list because of their culture and how they can bring guys in and really mesh them together. And, I mean, Cam Newton and Le'Veon Bell in the backfield would be incredibly dynamic another one i thought of was the miami dolphins potentially as they've tried a bunch of different running backs so far this season and none have really quite stuck or been too successful and then two more would be the tampa bay bucks as they do have running backs they did reach out and sign leonard fournette but he uh, has some health issues so far this season and then another one would be the san francisco 49ers as they have some other injuries and their offensive line is very stellar. But I kind of saw this as a surprise. Didn't think that he'd make it too long. But maybe I thought that they would trade him or something on those lines, but they just flat-out released him. Yeah, I I think I'm with you on all those teams. And, yeah, I was a little bit surprised too. And it's just another casualty of Adam Gase. And we'll see if Le'Veon really is able to resurrect his career in, in another spot like we've seen a lot of former Adam Gase players do. And two other teams come to mind when I think of potential teams for Le'Veon. I think the Buffalo Bills are kind of an underrated team that people won't really think about. But this is a ground game that really has struggled this year. And, you know, Devin Singletary's been fine. But this is a team that really should want to run the ball a lot more. And they're having Josh Allen do a lot. So if they can maybe run the ball a little bit more, they can get Le'Veon Bell. That would help a lot. Plus, they have a really good offensive line. And then another team is the Chicago Bears. Tariq Cohen went down with an ACL injury. He's out for the year. So, if they're able to get a guy like Le'Veon Bell in there and, you know, that could really help have this offense so that they don't have to have Nick Foles throw the ball, at, you know, as much as he's been throwing it. Yeah, whichever team he goes to, he'll definitely help out a ton. Um, so what is your top story of the week, Harrison? So my top story is the Dak Prescott injury. And so, I mean, for those of you that know, he suffered a pretty gruesome leg injury on Sunday against the Giants where he had a compound leg fracture and dislocated ankle and – it was just a really emotional moment. It was hard to watch, and you just really feel bad for the guy who was having, you know, one of the best seasons of his career so far through four and a half weeks, and he was leading the league in passing yards. And another reason it really sucks is because he wasn't able to sign that long-term deal this offseason. Him and the Cowboys couldn't agree on a number, so he bet on himself, played under the franchise tag, and unfortunately for now it didn't work out. So hopefully in the future it'll work for him. But now the Dallas Cowboys have Andy Dalton, that quarterback, the former Bengals quarterback, and, you know, he's a really solid back. He's one of the better ones in the league. 
And he's always been a pretty average quarterback when he's had the right pieces around him. Like when he was on the Bengals for, you know, five straight years, they made the playoffs under him to start his career when he had a really good receiving core. He had two seasons above 4,000 yards, and he's a great receiving core, a great, a pretty good offensive line, a great running back. He has the pieces around him. So, you know, he definitely can keep his offense afloat and really, you know, win some games for him down the stretch. Yeah, we'll touch on this a little bit more later, but I definitely agree with all that. And, I mean, you mentioned the fact that he bet on himself and he was essentially winning that bet by, by a long shot. He was having such a great year. And I talked about this in previous podcasts, but the Cowboys really struggled with their identity. So I think that even though their offensive line isn't the same as it has been in the past, they like should really focus on that running game. And um, Andy Dalton, I think he'll be fine. He'll make the right throws, the right reads, whatever. But he is... I don't know. It's very disappointing to watch him go down, especially in the way that he did for a season-ending injury. But I think the Cowboys will be just fine in the long run. Yeah, I think that's a good point about, you know, you've talked a lot about you want to see Zeke get more involved. This hasn't really been a balanced rushing and passing attack as they've trailed a lot early in games, so they've had to throw to get back into it. So, you know, hopefully they really try and go to Ezekiel Elliott a lot more early in the game. So now we're going to move over to some pretty big news in the NFL this week. Dan Quinn, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, was fired after about five and a half seasons with the team. The Falcons started 0-5 this year. They had one of the worst defenses in the league. And, you know, he's a defensive-minded head coach, so that really didn't help him out at all. And the, and the owner, Arthur Blank, said that, you know, going into this year, it was playoffs or bust for this Falcons team. And obviously starting 0-5 didn't seem like they were going to make the playoffs. They looked really bad. And, you know, I think this is, was, this is definitely the right move. This is something we've been talking about for a few weeks here on this podcast. And, I mean, I definitely think it's the right move, and it'll be really interesting to see where the Falcons go from here. Yeah, unless there's a mastermind plan to revamp this defense in the next year, then their best option would be to rebuild. Their offense obviously was never the problem, but Matt Ryan and their best player in Julio Jones is, are pushing the older age limits. Um, Julio Jones is 32. Which is, or he's going to be 32 in February, which is never what you want from your star receiver. You mentioned the defense. Dan Quinn was brought in to fix that struggling defense at the time, turn it around slightly as they obviously made a playoff, a deep playoff run, and made it to the Super Bowl. But uh, the defense has always been a problem, especially in those comeback losses that we've talked about. And I just, I don't, I can't pinpoint the problem, but those comeback losses are very detrimental to the culture and the locker room atmosphere. And obviously, like you mentioned, this was definitely the right move. But at 0-5, they were definitely not going to make the playoffs. And I just don't see any clear option besides a rebuild here. Yeah, I think I'm with you. They also fired their GM. So they're really yeah. just trying to change things up entirely in Atlanta. And, you know, this is a team last year. They started 1-7 and before going 6-2 and down the stretch. Pretty much saved Dan Quinn's job, at least for the time being. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. Their defense has been awful. 31st in point in yards allowed, 30th in points allowed. So this is a team that really just has not gotten it done on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, definitely unfortunate. Dan Quinn seemed like he was a really good coach, but these last two years, this Falcons team has really just fallen off. Yeah, so let's move into some of the games from this past weekend. So what did you see from the Chiefs and Raiders game? So the Raiders obviously won that one 40 to 32. And I was really impressed with the Raiders offense and you know, this is a team that last few years has really been building themselves to beat the Chiefs. That's what you do when you have this one team that's on top of the division for a lot of years. These teams build themselves to beat that one team. And we've seen the Raiders really try and build a fast-paced offense and try and resemble the Chiefs. We saw they got Henry Ruggs, who, you know, had 
a 4-2-7-40, something like that. And, you know, it finally paid off for him. Derek Carr had one of the best games of his career, 347 yards, three touchdowns, and he really made some great throws throughout the game and commanded that offense. And I think this is a big win for John Gruden. He's, I think this is his third year back with the Raiders since uh, coming back from ESPN. And, you know, he hasn't really had any big, big wins. This is definitely his biggest win as the Raiders coach. And they really had a good blueprint on defense, which is the biggest key, letting the Chiefs have only eight points in the second half. That's how you beat this team. You slow down this offense and you put up 40 points against them. Yeah, with their schedule so far this season, three and two is, is definitely a win. And the the Chiefs defense is really a question mark here for me because obviously the Chiefs offense is going to be fine down the stretch, but they're allowing five yards per carry rushing and 157 yards per game. So the only teams worse than them in terms of rushing defense are the Lions, the Texans, and the Bengals. They're seven or they're 19th in total defense, so their passing defense is much better, but. I, I agree with you where the Raiders had the perfect blueprint and they rushed for almost 150 yards. But I, I don't know, this, this Chiefs defense is really struggling right now. Most of the time, Patrick Mahomes and that offense can keep them in the game. But you mentioned John Gruden and their, the Raiders' ability to keep the Chiefs out of this game because it was definitely possible that they came back in the final few minutes and won that game. But in the second half, they outscored the Chiefs 16-8. to So it was a really impressive job by the Raiders to end the game and close it out successfully, especially against a division rival. And I really like that point where they, the Raiders definitely built their roster the previous few years after their rebuild to beat the Chiefs, and that's essentially what they've done. They can beat the Chiefs twice a year then they have a very good shot at winning the division. I'm not saying they're going to win the division, but it makes it much better. And then what I'm worried about is if the Chiefs face a team like the Browns, the Ravens, the Titans in the postseason, they fall behind early like they did in this game, then I'm just not sure that Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to recover, especially if those running attacks of the Browns, Ravens, or Titans really step up and keep Mahomes off the field because obviously he is special, but if he's standing there and watching with the sideline and the other team is dominating time of possession, then it's really hard, especially if you're behind in the game. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you on that point a little bit, except I feel like last season, especially in the postseason, we really saw this Chiefs get behind. I mean, I think each game they played, they fell behind at least 10 points against the Texans. They were down 24 nothing at one point. And a big concern with that Chiefs team last year was their – inability to stop the run and we saw games like against the Colts shaky remember last year where the Colts just dominated time of possession and ran it all over them and you know you think teams should be able to do that but for whatever reason this Chiefs team when they get to the postseason their offense is a different animal I mean you can just never count Patrick Mahomes out I think if we continue to see this this trend of their defense unable to stop the run then I'll have more faith in it but I mean for me I think it's just one game and I don't really put too much into it until we see this really happen, you know. In the yeah, playoffs. I'm just obviously they're sitting at four one. They're in good shape to make the playoffs, but I I just am slightly concerned. I'm not saying it's going to happen or making that prediction by any means, but it is a slight concern I do have. Yeah, I definitely think it's something to keep an eye on and just keep in the back of your mind as we uh, move on. So now we'll go on to the Seahawks Vikings game. Definitely one of the more exciting games of the week. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts on this Yeah, one? so this was a very interesting game. I didn't expect it to be this close. After this game, I, I really just decided that the Vikings are much better than their record shows. Right now they sit at 1-4, and four, but I, I don't feel like that really reflects the quality of this team. 
Dalvin Cook went down with an injury, and they're obviously going to miss him. Alexander Madison is a very good backup, and I think he'll be able to get the job done. But the Vikings, for me, I mean, they have lost all of their games by less than 10 besides one. And that was a blowout loss to the Colts in week two. So I I don't know. I can't quite figure this team out. They do have some bright spots on offense at times. And Kirk Cousins is, is a good quarterback. He's not great or anything special, but he's holding this team together. But I, I can't quite figure out this Vikings team. Obviously, the offense of Seattle was incredible as it normally is. They started off a little bit slow. But this Vikings team for me is, is tough to figure out. Yeah, so I'm definitely with you where I think the Vikings at 1-4 and four are a much better team than their record shows. And their next four games, they have the Falcons, Packers, Lions, and Bears. And they should win at least three of those games the way that I see it. And, I mean, even if, if they can somehow win four, if they can win that Packers game, which I don't think they will. But if they can, they'll be right back in this playoff hunt. And, you know, it'll be really interesting, especially with 17 playoff. We'll see if they can sneak in after, you know, a rough start to the season. But, I mean, I think we say this every week. But Russell Wilson is ridiculous. He's showing that he is, you know, a true MVP candidate and could win it this year. He had a 13-play, 94-yard drive in the last two minutes to win it. He made some ridiculous throws, especially to DK Metcalf. And even though he had a slow first half, he still had three touchdown passes and 27 points in the second half. So Russell Wilson's been ridiculous. And, I mean, I think another takeaway for me is I'm really scared of the Seahawks defense, and I don't really think teams are going to fear them when they come to the playoffs. This is a Vikings team, as you mentioned. Dalvin Cook got hurt. They still 201 rushing yards. And the Seahawks team, they've gotten killed on the ground and in the air. And it's going to be really hard to win in the playoffs. Yeah, it, the defense is a slight concern of mine. But, I mean, you just talked about Russell Wilson. He has slowed down a little bit. And by slowed down, I mean he's, he's putting up normal numbers now, above average numbers, but still just not unworldly numbers like he was before. And it – I don't know. This this Seattle def- or the defense is really a question mark. And I, I don't know if it was because we didn't see Aaron Rodgers this week due to a bye week, but Russell Wilson looks like the best quarterback in the league. He's at least top two between those two. Uh, he's third in passer, or passing yards, first in touchdowns, and sixth in QBR. And his completion percentage is up from his career average of 65 up to 73%. So he looks phenomenal. And the only concern for me, even though they are 5-0 and and they continue to find a way to win, would be that defense. Yeah, and I think that's going to be something really interesting to see. And, you know, obviously Jamal Adams hasn't played the last few games. So if they can get him back and really, you know, let him loose like he did the first few weeks, then maybe this defense can find a way to turn it around. So now we'll move on to another game. And, Jake, unfortunately, we do have to talk about this. The Browns beat the Colts 32-23. to so, I mean, as a Colts fan, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I thought they were finally tested, even though they did lose. Uh, obviously, they shouldn't have lost week one, so I count this as their first real loss. They have two, technically. But uh, they, were, they weren't blown out or anything, but they didn't look very good at all. On the season, they're still plus four in turnover differentials, but even though they turned the ball over twice for, uh, for Baker Mayfield in terms of an interception – the the two interceptions from Phillip Rivers did not help at all, and they came basically on the worst opportunity ever. They very un, untimely turnovers, and they only had 68 rushing yards behind an offensive line that I thought was, was really good. Clearly, uh, I'm either wrong or they, they haven't been playing the same. And 
you're just not going to win games in the NFL when you lose the rushing and passing yard differential and you don't win the turnover battle. So they didn't capitalize on the turnovers that they made. And it wasn't quite a concerning loss because they kept it close. Phillip Rivers didn't look great, but I think that he can maybe turn it together. I didn't like the coaching staff's evaluation of that because they said they have no concerns. He is my only concern for this team besides the rushing attack. Uh, the defense looked fine, giving up only 32 points. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a great great day to be a Colts fan. Yeah, I'm with you. And I do think that Phillip Rivers is definitely a concern. You mentioned he has two interceptions. And on the year, he has four touchdowns and five interceptions, which is, isn't what you want. You don't want your quarterback with a negative touchdown to interception ratio. And I think that this is an offense where, you know, the goal is to run the football. And you mentioned that's another issue. But, I mean, I think the two issues kind of go together. When, when a team isn't afraid of the passing attack, they can just load up the box and stop the run. And it seems like that's what teams are doing a lot. And, I mean, the thing is, when you play with an offense that wants to be run first, you can't have a quarterback that's this reckless, making bad reads, bad throws, and especially a, a veteran quarterback that's been in the league for 15, 16 years. Phillip Rivers just can't be making these type of mistakes. And I was a little bit skeptical of the signing at first just because I didn't think Rivers looked that good last year. And, um, I mean, there's still obviously 13 weeks left in the season. So I think that he can figure it out. And, you know, obviously they play the Bengals this week. And as a Bengals fan, I know how bad that defense is. So we'll see if he can turn it around. This, I think this is a big week for the Colts because the Bengals have been a team that offenses have really started to figure it out against. And, you know, it's kind of a get-right game for them. So we'll see if the Colts can get right this week. Yeah, you mentioned the signing of Phillip Rivers. I was not sold on that either. He has a 59 QBR this year which is 22nd in the league. He is 16th in the league in passing yards, but he's tied for 27th in touchdowns. So these numbers aren't great. And like you mentioned, he's a veteran quarterback. Even if he's not putting up great numbers, I just expect him to keep the ball to the other team's hands and just hand it off. I mean, those are his two requirements, is to not throw interceptions. I'd rather see three and outs than some of these. I mean, one of the interceptions were, were very bad. There was... I, he, the guy was coming across the middle and he sailed the ball about five or six feet above his head and it just landed right in the lap of the Browns player. And it was a very easy inc- or interception. And those mistakes just can't happen, especially when you have a struggling running defense or, or sorry, a struggling running attack and your defense just, it was playing pretty good, but it wasn't playing as good as we've seen in the past, partly because it was the first time really being tested. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about being tested. The Browns look really good. Ever since that week one blowout against the Ravens, they've won four straight. They're now four and one. And, you know, we said last week, you want to see, to see them beat a good team. I still think the Colts are a good team, so I'm still impressed by this win by the Browns. Baker was fine. I think the rushing attack was fine, even without Chubb. But, I mean, they, they went against the number one rushing defense, had 124 yards. You'll take that. But I think the biggest thing for the Browns is this defense looks really good. And a big reason why is Miles Garrett. He's second in the NFL in yes. sacks. And I think he's really put himself right into the defensive player of the year conversation with the way he's played so far. Yeah, he's played very well. So let's move on to the Buccaneers and the Bears. Uh, this was a very interesting game to watch. I didn't quite expect this outcome, especially after last week where the Bears couldn't get anything moving against that Colts defense. Uh, but what did you see here, Harrison? Uh, I mean, you mentioned it earlier with the Vikings. You can't figure them out. And I really – I'm struggling to figure out either the Bucks and the Bears. I think we both thought the Buccaneers would win this game and should win this game. And 
You know, the Bears are four and one. They don't feel like a four and one team, though. They've they've struggled in a lot of games and have had some close wins. Nick Foles is fine. Their rushing attack was terrible. They only had thirty five rushing yards, which is, you know, a reason I think Le'Veon Bell would be a great addition for them if they can get yeah. him in there. But the defense played really well and you know, I don't think they're at that level they were in twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, whatever year that was that they made the playoffs. But they held the Bucks to just two hundred thirty passing yards, even without Chris Goblin. That's a really impressive stat to have. And I, I think the Bears are a good team. I think they'll make the playoffs. But, I mean, I think the bigger concern that I have is the Buccaneers at this point. Yeah, Tom Brady threw the ball 41 times. I mean, that's not too out there. It's not too astonishing of a number. But it is probably a lot higher than the game plan suggested. And Ronald Jones was, was good on defense – or good on rushing. He was had a 106 yards, but nobody else carried the ball for – uh, Tampa Bay Bucks. I mentioned them earlier with Le'Veon Bell. I think both of these teams. I didn't really consider the Browns or the Bears at first, but I think that they both would be a great fit because they both need the rushing help. But I mean, at four and one, I don't think that these Bears are as good as their record indicates. Obviously, a win is a win, and that that's all that matters week to week. But uh, I'm, I have some serious concerns for this team, and I, I just. The, the rushing attack is concerning, and their defense, it it's played good so far, but I haven't seen a team quite test it. The Falcons, I guess, would be their best offense that they've faced, and they let up 26 points, which is actually pretty good. And then the Lions, Giants, the Colts, obviously wasn't tested on offense, and the Buccaneers. I Like you said, I can't quite figure out the Buccaneers either. And so I'm not sold on this Bears team at all, mainly because of the competition they've played so far and their lack of rushing attack. Yeah, I think just looking at this game as a whole, I think these are two teams that we had a lot of question marks going into this game. And I think after this game, we still have a lot of question marks. We don't really know these teams. And I think one more point on the Buccaneers, they lost Vita Vea, their nose tackle for the season. And one of the most underrated players in the NFL probably. And, you know, he's been a top two or three nose tackle in the NFL. He's a huge part of that rush defense, which is among the best in the NFL and just a huge part of that defense as a whole. So losing him is definitely going to hurt. So that's something to just keep an eye on. But I mean, the Bucks they play the Packers yeah. this week and they need to get healthy. Chris Godwin, they need him. They need Mike Evans to be a hundred percent. But if they lose to this Packers team and fall to three and three, there's going to be a lot of questions in Tampa Bay next Monday. Yeah, it's it's going to be – obviously, this isn't a, a easy game by any means, but it is a must-win, and you hate for this to be a must-win because it is a very tough game. Last week was essentially a must-win since you were looking towards the Packers this week. Obviously, they didn't win the game, so it's a very, very tough game for them, but it's also a game they need to win. Yeah, and honestly, as as just someone evaluating them, I don't think – they have to win this game for me to be impressive. I think – I personally think the Packers are a top two or three team. In yeah, the they league. just need to stay So if they can play a competitive game – yeah, if they can just play a competitive game and bring it, you know, right to the end and make it close, then, you know, I'll see what I need and I'll think that the Bucks are good. But if they get blown out in this game and really don't look good, then I'll still have some big concerns about this team in the future. Yeah, so let's move on to our next segment. Uh, what was your hot take of the week, B. Harrison? So my hot take is that – Andy Dalton will lead the Cowboys to the playoffs, and I think he will win his first career playoff game. This might be a little more wishful thinking just as a Bengals fan, you know, hoping that Andy Dalton can finally win a playoff game after going 0-5. But, I mean, there is some reasoning behind this. I mentioned earlier he made the Bengals, he made the playoffs five times with the Bengals, obviously never winning a playoff game. 
And he's shown the ability to get there. I mentioned, you know, when he's had great supporting cast, he's been a, an above average quarterback and has been able to, you know, lead his team uh, to the playoffs. Obviously, hasn't won, but I mean, I think that with this Cowboys supporting cast, you know, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper at receiver, youth, Zeke at running back, and uh, still definitely above average offensive line, even though it's not the Cowboys O line we expect. And I think, uh, you know, a reason that they will make the playoffs is. We both think the NFC East is terrible. It's definitely the worst division in football and the worst in, you know, a few years. So I think they're definitely going to get a tough playoff matchup in that first round. But I think that if they can figure out their defense, which has definitely been an issue, if they can just fix it a little bit and, you know, make it somewhat better, then I think the offense will have a chance to be good enough to win the game. Yeah, I would go as far as saying that your hot take isn't quite a hot take only because now the fact that they just lost their quarterback. Yes. Then if you consider it like that, but this, this division is terrible. I don't expect the Eagles to win the division and your other options would be the football team, the Washington football team or the New York giants. I think I mentioned it earlier. I think that this is actually uh, helpful for Mike McCarthy and his staff. The fact that they lost Dak Prescott, Obviously, Dak is a much better quarterback than Andy Dalton, but this will force them to really find their identity and be kind of one-dimensional, but then they can also throw the ball because Andy Dalton is very capable. He showed that in when he came in in the third quarter uh, the other day when he was 9 for 11, and, and he looked very good. So if they could have figured this out with Dak Prescott in and kept him healthy, then obviously they're in much better shape, but... I think the hot take for, for me would be him winning his first playoff game. I don't know if Andy Dalton is capable of that only because I've seen him struggle so much in the playoffs. But I agree. This is one of his best uh, set of weapons that he's had in the league so far. And if Mike McCarthy can focus on the run and really ground and pound and then use play action, use uh, some some other stunts, stunts to be able to help out Andy Dalton, then I think they'll really figure it out. Yeah, and I mean, I just think the reason it is a hot take is because he's he's never been good in the playoffs, as you mentioned, and he's 0-5 in the playoffs. So I just think if he's able to get them there, I think he will be able to get them there, and then, you know, we'll see if he's able to win that game. But I, I definitely hope he's able to. So, Jake, what is your hot take? My hot take, and once again, I mean, I just kind of said the years wasn't a hot take, but the Browns are sitting at 4-1. and one, So this might not be a hot take. It's only because it's such a long time, but – my hot take of the week is that the Browns will break their six or 17 season playoff drought. Um, I was going to say and going to be very bold and say that they'll win their first playoff game in more than two decades, but I'm not sold on that. I'm not sold on Baker Mayfield enough to actually say that. So they have a clear shot of the playoffs at four and one, and they aren't going to win the division because I would believe that it's either going to be Baltimore or Pittsburgh, who boasted above them in standings in the division so far. And the thing that's really impressed me is that even without Nick Chubb, the Browns have led the league in rushing yards per game and really been impressive on in terms of their rushing attack. And if Baker Mayfield isn't forced to win them games and make incredible throws that he probably isn't capable of making, and the rushing attack is consistent enough to keep them in games and really dominate their time of possession and kind of what they've been doing all season besides that blowout loss to the Ravens in week one. And I think they have an easy path to the playoffs and they could even win that matchup depending on who it is. Yeah, I think I agree with this. I do think the Browns will make the playoffs. I mentioned earlier, I think they look really good. Their defense 
has really impressed me this year, especially Miles Garrett. And I think that they have a good formula. They ha- they're able to run the, the ball as well as anyone. They have maybe the best running back tandem in the league once Nick Chubb gets healthy with him along with Kareem Hunt. And Baker Mayfield, I don't think he's a star quarterback, but I think he's a pretty good quarterback. And I think he's good enough that, you know, when you're when he needs to make the, the throws, I think he has the ability to do it. And I just think that they have a good formula to win these tough games in November and December where, you know, you just need to run. It's, you know, good rushing and good yep. defense wins you a lot of football games in the NFL, especially in those last three or four weeks of the season when they're going to need those wins to get into the playoffs. And I think they'll be able to yeah. do that. So let's move into uh, the NBA portion of this podcast. And obviously the Lakers won the NBA finals four to two over the Miami heat. And so what's your takeaways from the series? Well, so before we talk about LeBron, I mean, I just think the Lakers as a whole dominated the series and LeBron was fantastic. He, he won his fourth finals MVP, 30 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, eight and a half assists per game. And Anthony Davis also phenomenal, played great defense. And especially those last few games where he, you know, took a lot of Jimmy Butler's offensive possessions. He really was great on defense against him. And the Lakers as a whole defensively, that was a difference that it was a big question for them coming into the playoffs. And they really, you know, uh, got up to the task and did a great job, and that's the reason. That's yeah, the so I want to talk about the Miami Heat because they weren't supposed to be here. They had a phenomenal season, a season that wasn't supposed to happen. They weren't supposed to go this far in the bubble. And Jimmy Butler has proved everybody wrong. He, I remember in before the uh, coronavirus uh, really became a problem in the United States, and they were still playing in early February or early March, late February. Jimmy Butler was calling people out uh, through the media and really just making his, his word really heard. And I was kind of thinking to myself, why, he doesn't have the ability to talk. He hasn't done much, especially in the playoffs, or he hasn't won anything. But, I mean, he, him coming into Miami has been the best thing for his career, and he's really bought He hasn't bought in that culture. He probably brought some of that culture there because some of those young guys. Obviously, Pat Riley – and Eric Spolstra know what they're doing. They had their own thing going on there. But Jimmy Butler definitely added to that, and he was the perfect player for this mix. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you look at some of the winners just of the bubble, of the playoffs, obviously the Lakers won. But if you look at some players that really just helped themselves out in terms of, you know, their per- their perception of, you know, in the public, I think Jimmy Butler might definitely. be number one on the list. It, it might be just him and Jamal Murray where those two guys – were phenomenal the entire time but Jimmy Butler really you know he's had some tough exits he had a tough exit in Minnesota where a lot of people said they didn't want to play with him and then still I don't think people really know what happened in Philly but there's rumors that Brett Brown their now former head coaches didn't want him there but I mean I think you're right I think that he's the perfect player for this heat culture and you know he's always just had it in him he he has that dog mentality and you know he has that MJ mentality also where you know he's not afraid to push his teammates and yell at them and you know, some people can't handle that, but a lot of these young Heat players are hungry, and you know, I expect them to be, you know, right back in the thick of things next year. Maybe we'll see them in the finals. Yeah. So let's again. move into kind of a, a segment of segment of its own. Let's try to talk about LeBron's legacy. This is obviously up to interpretation based on any different person. Each person is going to have their own opinion. We're just going to provide our own opinions about this subject. So, what would you say his legacy, LeBron's legacy, is now after this fourth Finals win? So I'm, I'm still of the belief that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. And I think Jake, you are too, but you can talk about that. But I mean, I think now LeBron is definitely firmly number two of all time, in my opinion. I mean, seeing what he's able to do at this age is ridiculous. And 
his resume. He now has four titles, four finals MVPs. And I think, you know, now if someone really had an argument with me about who was the greatest of all time and they said it's LeBron, I mean, I think it's, as you mentioned, it's opinion. I think that person can believe that and I wouldn't totally have a problem with it. I definitely can see where you're coming from. And, you know, all these, he's played the most playoff games of all time. Uh, you know, just some ridiculous playoff numbers. And, you know, the reason that I still have MJ as the GOAT is LeBron has six finals losses and MJ is none. And, I mean, obviously LeBron's made ten finals, but I just think you can't lose four times in the NBA finals in the championship series and be considered the best player of all time when basketball is a sport where it's obviously a team sport, but if you have that one, that one really special player, you know, he can bring it over the top. And I think one specific finals loss is that 2011 loss of the Mavericks where it was that first year with the Heat. And, you know, guys like J.J. Barea clamped him up on defense. So I think that really hurts him a lot. But, yeah, I mean, definitely he's my number two player of all time and a lot of credit to him. But I still have I, I definitely agree with you. Michael Jordan is my number one. And LeBron is very much secured himself, at least in my own head, as the number two best player of all time. He's passed Kareem, Magic, maybe even if you were talking about Larry Bird and Kobe Bryant as those that mesh of uh, two through maybe six. And he's secured his spot as number two. And so I'm just going to make a quick argument about so, some of the things you could say if you were trying to say that LeBron is the greatest of all time. He has 1,500 points – or sorry, he is first in playoff scoring by a margin of 1,500 points. He – obviously you mentioned his um, – four finals MVPs. He's the first player to ever win three finals MVPs with three different teams. And he is third in all-time scoring and eighth in all-time assists. He's second behind only Magic Johnson in terms of playoff assists. And the argument before was that, oh, the East is easy and all this stuff about how he couldn't do it in the West. And in the second year out West, he takes LA to the finals and they win. If he were to somehow win next year, which next year is a long ways away and anything could happen between now and then, then he would uh, claim a spot as, at least in my head, as the greatest player of all time because here's a huge stat right here. Bill Russell and Sam Jones, who played for that Celtics team that won uh, so many championships back in the day, he would tie them in terms of finals appearances if he – advance to the finals next season. I still think Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time, but you mentioned that 2011 finals. And for me, since it was only because it was his first year in Miami, I give him a slight pass on that one. I'm not saying that he should have lost that or, um, or was expected to lose that by any means. He, he had the better team and he probably should have won, but the other one that I want to talk about is his finals appearance when he brought the Miami Heat right before the decision when he brought I'm sorry when he brought the Cleveland Cavaliers to the finals. That was probably one of the worst teams that's ever made it to the finals. That was such an impressive run for him. Obviously that started his uh, stardom in terms of the NBA, but that really sticks out to me as LeBron's legacy and then going back to Cleveland and beating the Golden State Warriors. Those are two things that really stick out to me. I'm just going to say one more time, I think Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time because of his greatness and how he could just walk away from the game of basketball, play baseball for a year or a half a year, and then come back and win three more championships. I think that's incredible. His greatness is, will never be matched. 
but LeBron is, is creeping up on him, and maybe one more championship would get him over that hump, but obviously that's easier said than done. Yeah, I think it'll be really inter- interesting to see. You know, I, I, I don't know. If he wins another championship, I really might have to really think about it and maybe change my mind because five championships to six championships is really impressive. And then, as you mentioned, making 11. The thing is, it's just so hard yeah. to compare these guys in different eras and – you know, a lot of people say LeBron, you know, passes more, gets more rebounds. But that's just, you know, a lot of the play style nowadays. You didn't see a ton of players in Michael Jordan's era that were able to do that. Maybe Magic Johnson. But besides that, that wasn't that just wasn't his game. And I don't think that's a knock against Michael Jordan. And I, I don't think you can really take away from what LeBron's done in that, in that regard. But it's just so hard to compare these guys in different eras. And, you know, I think this is – an argument that is never going to be settled. I think it's always going to be a debate and a good debate to have, but I mean, it's just, it, it, it's your opinion. And, you know, if someone says it's LeBron as their best player of all time, I'm not going to argue with them. And if someone says MJ, I'll yeah. agree with them. So before this I mean, bubble and LeBron's latest championship run, I would have argued until I was blue in the face that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, because I mean, that's what I believe. that's what I believed. And truly, especially after the last dance, watching that and seeing the inside perspective on that, but right yeah. now, I mean, I agree. I'm not going to really argue with somebody too much because there is a case for LeBron to be the greatest of all time. And I'm not totally on the same page as some of those people, but I, I do see that their their point of view now. Yeah, so now we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the MLB playoffs quickly. And this isn't something that we've gotten too much into. So now we'll talk a little bit deeper into it. So first we'll talk about the Braves and the Dodgers. So, uh, where we're at today, it's Wednesday. Game three starts in a few hours. But the Braves leading the Dodgers 2 to nothing, And this is something that really shocked me. The biggest question for the Braves coming into the playoffs was how their starting pitching would do, as they have one of the best bullpens in baseball. So it was, could they get a lead to their bullpen? And so far through seven games, their starting pitchers, pitching has been great. 34 innings, five earned runs allowed, 24 hits, and a 1.32 ERA. And, you know, the, the thing with the Braves, they were a great bullpen team and a great hitting team. And now they're just a great pitching team in general. And, you know, the Dodgers really need to figure out their, you know, pitching because right now. Yeah, you mentioned your starting pitching, and that was their struggle um, going, or their weak point going into the playoffs. And they had that great bullpen, the great lineup. The, the hitting was not a concern at all. But they had a 6 nothing lead going into the fifth over the Dodgers in, I guess it would be game two last night. And then if they didn't – let up not or four runs in the ninth inning, then they would have run won by a huge margin. So right now their concern is relief pitching, but in reality it isn't. So their starting pitching is is really outperforming itself and, and doing a great job. And if they can keep this up, then they could really uh, make a dent and possibly advance uh, to the next round. Yeah, and I think a big concern is this Dodgers pitching just hasn't gotten it done. It was, I think it was 1-1 going into the ninth inning of game one or 2-2, something like that it was tied, and it was close. And then all of a sudden they let it yeah, four runs in the top of the ninth inning. and Yeah, and, and just that was the end of it. So, you know, this Dodgers – and then obviously in game two they let it eight runs. So we'll see what happens in game three and four. You guys will know by the time this comes out. But, I mean, that's just something to keep an eye on. And just really shocking to me that, you know, the Dodgers are in this position – being the heavy favorites all year to win the championship. And now, you know, they need to win four of the next five games or else they're going to have yet another early exit in the postseason. Yeah, so let's move on to the Rays and Astros. I've, I, I'm going to be honest here. I haven't watched these games. I've seen some of the highlights. And this Tampa Bay Rays team is very good at defense. 
obviously you watch them play as they unfortunately beat your Yankees, but they're 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 very good yeah. on defense. Some of the places they've made uh, run saving plays when when you need it most, and I I really think that this Astros team over overachieved this year, winning two playoff series already. But I, I just think that they're they don't have enough to beat these Rays. Yeah, and you mentioned defense. That's a big part of their formula, and it's a pretty simple formula they have. They have great starting pitching. They have great relief pitching. You mentioned the great defense, and then they just get timely hits and home runs. And, you know, I, you mentioned, obviously, I'm a Yankee fan, so heartbreaking loss to them, but whatever. It, it's just so frustrating to play them as an opposing team because there really aren't many guys, especially on the offensive side, that jump out to you as, you know, superstars. And, you know, they've had but a they few continue guys to score runs. postseason. But they're, Exactly. They're yeah. just so fundamentally sound. And, you know, when you coach a baseball team growing up, you know, th- this is the formula that I have always been told works. And, you know, especially, I mean, obviously it's a youth baseball team and not, you know, an MLB team. But, you know, my coaches would always harp on good fundamental defense, get timely hits, drive in runs with base hits and not hit home runs. And, you know, they hit home runs, but I, it works for them. And I honestly don't know if I've ever seen a bullpen as good as them. It seems like every every guy they roll out there is six five or above and they throw 97 to 100 miles an hour with good off-speed pitches. It, it really – it's ridiculous how good their pitching is. And, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to their analytics team, which is among the best in baseball, probably the best. And, you know, they find these guys. And I don't really know how people still trade with the Rays because they get all these no-name guys and turn them into stars. You look at literally anyone in their bullpen, Nick Anderson especially. And, yeah, I mean, I the Rays, I think, are going to win the series. And – it's going to be tough to be – I think right now they look like the best team in baseball to me out of the four remaining. The end of the baseball season is going to be very interesting to watch and it's going to be a good few games coming up. But let's move into our last segment. So, Harrison, what would be one thing you're looking forward to uh, for this coming week? So, I'm looking forward to this Bills-Chiefs game next Monday night. And, you know, obviously, Jake, this will probably bring a smile to your face, but the Bills did not look too good last night. Josh Allen did not have a good game. Looked like 2019 Josh Allen. So, you know, coming off that blowout loss against the Titans, it'll be really interesting to see how they do against the Chiefs. And obviously we talked about it earlier. The Chiefs came off, you know, their first loss since last November did not look good in the second half and losing to that Raiders team. So can the Bills bounce back as, you know, the Chiefs go to Buffalo? Can the Bills use the formula that we saw the last two weeks by the Patriots and Raiders that really have slow, has slowed down this Chiefs offense? And it's a big game for the Bills as, you know, they had a tough loss last week. So, you know, if they can win this game, I think a lot of people will, you know, really think they're legit. But if not, then, you know, it might just be same old bills that we've had the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to admit it did bring a slight smile to my face when I was watching this game. And they, they were struggling against this Titans team. But I, I am an anti-Patriots fan. That means anybody who is competing either in the same division or against the Patriots, I am rooting for. So no matter how much I want to be right on this podcast, I am rooting for the Bills. Um, only because they're in the NFC East. But I agree, this is a huge game for them. And you mentioned the formula. It, it's out there. They they have the answers. They just have to be able to remember it for the test, for game day. They have to be able to execute it. So it's, it's really about their execution. And I think they have the tools and the weapons on defense. They obviously have the weapons on offense. Uh, it's just about slowing down Patrick Mahomes, keeping him off the field, and – Earlier in the podcast, you mentioned when we were talking about Le'Veon Bell, the Bills and they're uh, struggling with the run game throughout this season. They can really step up that run game and get that going a little bit. It doesn't have to be incredible. It just has to get going. Then I think they really have a good shot to win this game. 
Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned it. I think that's definitely the formula for the Bills, and these are both two teams in the Chiefs and the Bills that had bad losses this week and, you know, this week, and I think both of them are going to come out really strong, and I think that's this definitely has the potential to be one of the best, if not the best games of the weekend, and I think we definitely can learn a, a lot about both of these teams. Uh, so, Jake, what is one thing that you are looking forward to this weekend? Mine would be another very interesting game coming up this following week. That would be the Browns at the Steelers. I'm not quite sure at this point in time which team is better and who's going to win this game. If I had to make a prediction, I, I, don't, I think I'd go with a tie. It's going to be a very close game, I think. And, uh, I mean, the Browns, their formula is to, to run the ball and then exploit teams off their play-action passing and, and wide-open lanes, some of those trick plays we've seen in the past few weeks. So they, they know their formula and they know their – identity and then the Steelers have their identity as well where they're a very defensive minded team and they're going to look to pack the box and stop the run and hopefully rattle Baker Mayfield and force him to make some throws that uh, he just doesn't want to make so I think the x factor for me is that Steelers offense and whether or not they can put together a few drives and put up enough points to beat this Browns deep offense they've played the Giants the Broncos the Texans and the Eagles none of these teams have very good defenses at all and I'm not saying the Browns have a good defense, but they're going to put up some points. Steelers have to keep up on offense, and I think it's going to be a very close game and a fun game to watch. Yeah, I'm with you. I think this is going to be a really fun game to watch. It's a big game in that AFC North and that AFC wildcard game, even though it's early in the season. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a good test for both of these teams to see what they really are made of. Steelers coming in at 4-0, but obviously haven't faced the best competition yet. The Browns, they def- they definitely played the best team that, you know, they faced in the first five weeks. But, you know, we'll see now they've played the Steelers, probably the best team that they faced so far. So I think this is a big game for both of these teams. And, you know, the winner is going to look really good and, you know, have a lot of people talking next week. Yeah, and the other thing is that this division is very close. It's one of the – it's actually under the radar, but it's one of the best divisions in football. And for whatever reason, if the Ravens were to lose uh, – at the Eagles next week, or, and then they have a tough few, two few games coming up after that, then this is a wide-open division. At the beginning of the year, I wouldn't have said that, but 4-0, 4-1, 4-1, it is a very wide-open division, and it's going to be interesting to watch this race come down. Yeah, so that's going to be a really good game to watch, and I think that's all we got for you guys this week. Oh, um, we also we have a, um, a battle between our podcasts this weekend as the Bengals and the Colts play each other this week, so we're both going to be on the edge of our seats, and I don't think we'll be talking about this game too much next next podcast, but something that we're looking forward to. If the Bengals win this game, we will definitely be talking about this <laughs> game a lot next yes. week. Yes. Thank you guys right. for listening. Thank you.